Welcome into the Grace and Win Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. Well, here we are back once again. It is a verse-by-verse edition of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. Rick Maynard takes us through. Before we dive in, we want to say thank you for listening. As always, we are uh, moving up the charts there. So thank you for all of you that like, share, subscribe, and listen to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. Make it a part of your weekly routine. Well, Rick Maynard, let's get into the word. We don't have to say welcome to you anymore. We just get right into it. Right, because I never know what to say when you say welcome, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't know whether I say thank you or good to be here or whatever. So yeah. okay, we'll just take off this morning. So all right, First Kings, First Kings eleven. Last week we actually finished up another chapter and started a new chapter. So it's pretty amazing. We're really flying through this now. Found so, out last week we can have eighteen wives. That's the that's eight, the max. Eighteen is the maximum. <laughs> so no more than eighteen wives. Right. That's. For all you out there that were wondering, that's the gospel according to Rick. Right. So I'm very inspired last yes, week. So yes. Okay. So last week we were talking about Solomon and and all the the uh, wives, the many women, foreign women, all that kind of stuff. And that was in verse one. We won't repeat that. But verse two of chapter eleven says they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So, you know, it's talking about uh, not just for Solomon, it's for uh, all people. You must not intermarry with them because they will turn your hearts after their gods. So it wasn't just instruction for Solomon, but obviously as the the spiritual leader and the leader of the nation, uh, as the example, he should have been the very one that was the most obedient, if you would. you know, to whom much is given, much is required. We say that a lot about mm-hmm. pastors, deacons, whoever it is. If you've been given a position by God, there's a, a greater uh, expectation. You know, maybe God doesn't expect me to be a better person than someone else, but in a sense he does mm-hmm. because of the example. Maybe a little off topic was reading through this one. I don't know if, Rick, you're old enough. You've been in the church a little while, but this is kind of one of those passages people used back in the day for anti-interracial relationships wasn't it right oh yeah you shouldn't marry in one shouldn't uh, intermarry (laughs) intermarry be unequally yoked yeah that was the other one my wife's father uh was of that mindset Mm -hmm. i don't know if he's still there but (laughs) well my parents were not racist per se but they were my dad especially my mom wasn't as vocal but my dad was very much against interracial marriage Mm. you know and he was a good godly man but that was just, you know, that was the way he was. I mean, he just couldn't break out of that. But uh, so, you know, whether it's a uh, of color or of uh, just different countries, you know, it would be like for God saying to us, don't marry someone from Mexico or don't marry someone from Spain or uh, whatever. We don't have those kind of regulations today. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. People who believe in racism or whatever, they go back to this and say, well, that still applies today. Yeah, and it doesn't apply today. And the misinterpretation was not so much about the culture per se, but that that they weren't serving the right. one true God. Right. It was talking about intermarrying unequally yoked has to do with unequally yoked with those who aren't of the same faith. In yeah. other words, that's that's the issue. But um, you know, and and it was a command for everybody. But uh, and it says Solomon held fast to them in love. I, you know, I don't. We mentioned that last week. I don't know how much in love you can be with, you know, that many women. You know, we talk about more than one, but with that many, I I think 
held fast in love. I think it was more about a love for possessions, a love for numbers, a love for, um, you know, bragging rights. You know, I have more wives, more women love me than you, that, that kind of thing. Again, we don't know Solomon's personality, but I don't think Solomon was in love with all these women. So, uh, and, and, you know, you can make those statements and we still do it today. What difference does it make? In other words, how does that apply to me? You know, what, you know, again, we've mentioned what if Solomon said, well, that doesn't apply to me because I won't let them turn my hearts. So if they don't turn my hearts away, it'd be okay. But it just has to do with because God said so. But we want explanations for everything. We want people to, well, what's wrong with this? And sometimes it's like it's just not pleasing to the Lord. It's not that it's a dire sin, but it's just not pleasing. There's a reason behind it. And uh, and in in this situation, one of the reasons, I mean, if you really do want to reason it out, I mean, it should be reason enough that God said so. You know, as mm-hmm. a parent, sometimes we just say, because I said so. You know, I there's no other reason for it besides I know better than you do, and I said, don't do this. But because of that, I mean, if he intermarries with them and has sons by them, one of those sons could potentially become a king from the wrong kind of, of mother, the wrong kind of ungodly influence. I mean, there are reasons, and, and that's exactly what happens because it says none of the sons identified with their father and no, and the number of children is not recorded that he had with all these wives. So, you know, usually from noble family, it will say, you know, he had this many sons, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes names all of those sons, those kind of things. But in Solomon's case with all these wives, I'm sure there were many children. Mm-hmm. But right. <laughs> it doesn't mention. And although it's socially acceptable, if you will, to have more than one wife, hum- the essence of humanity has never seen, which we've seen in the Old Testament, uh, Rachel and Leah, jealousy. Right. So there had to be all kinds of oh, yeah. wonderful drama that un- unfolded between all of these Yeah, you're his women. favorite kind yeah. of thing. Had but, to be there. Oh, yeah. I mean, people, we act like biblical times were different, but these people were the same as we are. They're full of jealousy and anger and all of those kind of deception and everything that goes on today was going on in the Old Testament. I mean, we people say, oh, this world today. Well, you know, I think sometimes the Old Testament might have even been worse than this mm-hmm. world today. So, uh, and then verse three is where it gives us start giving us numbers. He had seven hundred wives of royal birth and three hundred concubines, and his wives led him astray. I mean, isn't it amazing that? I mean, it just tells us in a nutshell. I mean, it, it gives us a little more detail later how they led him astray, but it's just matter of fact. It says they will. Leave or lead you astray, and then it comes right up in verse three and says, "And his wives led him astray." And I, just talking about the concubines and the difference in concubines and wives, a concubine was considered a wife, but she was not available to other men. So, just like a wife would not be available to other men. So when he when he took that concubine, it wasn't like, you know, people think concubine was more of like property so if he wanted to give her up and you know some other guy could have her or whatever she she became 
a as a wife in the fact that she was not available, but he didn't have legal obligations to her, the same as a wife. So it was permitted for a king to have them, but it really was more of an ownership than a relationship uh, in that sense. And the, the only thing that was re- required to make a woman a concubine was to sleep with her one time. Wow. So uh, you couldn't just take a woman and say, well, maybe because she's wealthy, you know, I want her to be one of my concubines, or maybe because, you know, she's just pretty and I want to make other guys jealous. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. you couldn't just take, you actually, I, I don't know whether it was had to or <laughs> you got to sleep with another yeah. woman. But that was the only thing required to call her um, a a concubine. And then with a wife, there was actually a marriage contract that he would provide food, clothing, uh, the conjugal relations. So uh, he had uh, 700 wives that he had to have relationships. He had 300 concubines that he... So we know that Solomon had sexual relations with at least 1,000. 1,000 women, wow. I mean, it's just... Beyond, mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's guys out there that, you know, they want to keep track. You know, how many women mm-hmm. have I slept with in my life, you know, or, or, and, you know, we say that against men, but there are women who would do the same thing. Yeah. How many, how many they've slept with in their life. But, uh, but there was a, there was more of a, um, uh, he would have to pay an amount if he divorced a wife where he wouldn't, if he uh, did release a concubine or whatever. So there was, you know, you were fully married to um, the wife as opposed to the concubine, but there was still some obligation there to take care of them. In other words, if you're going to call them a concubine or you're going to call them a wife, you still need to, to take care of them. So, okay. so really it just came down to a legal contract. It was easier. It would be like releasing them and with a wife providing papers to divorce them in other words but um and it it talked about being all fully married but not all fully queens and so in um in the song of solomon it talks about uh 60 queens and 80 concubines so out of those uh 700 wives and 300 concubines not all of them were considered queens just because they were married to him so for some reason uh whatever um whatever it was, he had regular relations, in other words, with the uh, 80 concubines and 60 queens. So he had regular relationships with 140 of those. The rest of them, you could say he only had to sleep with them one time in order to hmm. to have possession, in other words. Yeah, and again, just trying to make the connection points between our culture and Solomon. I mean, we typically look at Solomon in a very good light, but, I mean, was he a— you know, I guess today we might say, man, was this guy a sex addict? Was he, I know. Uh, you know, what would he, I, again, I think of current news today, just the other day, a Weinstein mm-hmm. guy was convicted 23 years. And, you know, that was the story of him as it, it was, it was just woman after woman, after woman, after woman, after woman, right. after woman. Uh, it was like, you know, he was addicted to that, you know, and right. he had uh, a beautiful wife that was an actress uh, but there, there was just something there that obviously grabbed hold of him right. in terms of that addiction or whatever you might want to call it. And clearly, Solomon again had to have, uh, and 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 just wasn't that one area. I mean, it was the addiction of of wealth and 
right. gaining and and another thing I was thinking of as we're, as we're just going through this would would be interested back in that time because there wasn't the knowledge or we don't read about sexual disease in the Bible. You mm-hmm. know, was there like oh yeah, there was sexual disease among all these wives and stuff like that. You know, you think that was a very dangerous thing to be sleeping with this amount of women mm-hmm. and disease or sickness that would have maybe came right. The result of that, how that would have spread. Oh yeah. I'm thinking coronavirus, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> how disease and things like that spread. Interesting. Oh, I, know. I know. Well, and there's some, uh, somebody talked about um, that there is, because people talk, look at that and they say, why would this guy or this woman cheat on, this good man or this good woman, you know, he has, in other words, he has a beautiful wife. Why would he cheat? And somebody explained it one day and I, I, I get it. He talked about that. There's not just an addiction to sex, but it's an addiction to newness. It's an addi- addiction to having someone else or an addiction to the excitement of the cheating you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, for Solomon, uh, it wasn't cheating and all of that, but, you know, maybe an addiction to just the newness, just having, even though he had a beautiful wife over here, he just had to have something new, something different, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah. People say, well, I'm going to ask Solomon when I go to heaven. You know, well, I don't think we're going to be. And the power of that, you know, that I wouldn't put, you know, there's not sin is sin, uh, but I would say, again, relating to our culture, there are two categories of sin that i think are very strong in our culture today number one would be uh, when you begin to take like hardcore drugs mm-hmm. uh you know cocaine these ones that are much stronger than right. base level drugs that people who really dive into that there is a uh to break out of that is very difficult right because uh, right. it just shackles you and and it's really hard to get free of that but the second one which the bible talks about is sexual sin that it's a it, it's a more potent or powerful right. sin because it's it's a, a it's a, against the body but it's against you and it's just kind of this deeper level so to think right. at, at the depth he wasn't just having fun having sick uh, having sex but he was really allowing a deep level right. of sin to to entrench itself right. and to break out of that you know and the question about i i always think about these things with god's grace and god's mercy why would God allow it to get to this level before he did something, you know, what, and for all of us, you know, at what point is God going to say enough is enough, you know, in our, in our sin and the things that we do in our life. But, but anyway, we better move on here. But, um, 11, four, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father had been. So at, at this time, when it begins to talk about him growing older, he's around 60 years old. So, you know, I'm 63. So at this point in his life, um, you know, I don't know what point he began. It doesn't tell us when he began to marry these women, when he began, began to take these uh, concubines. But he's around 60 years old at this point. And it's just amazing. And we see it prior to this and we'll see it after this. It is amazing how many times David's name is mentioned. And I think, what a what a tribute. You know, we say, well, David was a great man, and we all know his faults. We don't have to, to go back through all those things again. We know his faults, but what an amazing thing 
when your name would come up? I, I know you've talked about leaving that um, heritage, passing it on to your children. and But it, wouldn't it be awesome to be sitting around after you're long gone and your children are saying, you know, my dad did that. My dad did mm-hmm. this. My dad took us on a mission trip. My dad, you know, mom, whatever. And, and then the grandkids that knew you, you know, before you passed. My grandpa, man, he was he was a great man. And, you know, it, that's exactly what's happened with David for years after he's gone. And, and even more amazing, it's God speaking. Mm-hmm. It's not other men saying, "Well, David was a pretty good guy, you know," or you, you know, you're not as good as your dad David was. It's God saying, "For the sake, or as the heart of David, his father had been." I mean, it just goes on uh, to talk about David in comparison to everything. But um, the the one thing that I see mentioned several times that David didn't do because we say, "Well, well, David wasn't a." I mean, why would God say to Solomon, why, why don't you be more like your dad? Why would he say that when when David had done the things that he had done? But all of this issue here is talking about idolatry because it'll, it says they'll turn your heart to other gods. It's the one thing that David didn't do. And so if you want to talk about sin, one sin being worse than another, it really appears that idolatry seems to be one of the things that God quickly becomes angry about. Yeah. You know, I will not share my self. Talks about God as a jealous God, not jealous in the sense, you know, the bad jealousy that we talk about. But he was je- jealous for for uh, valid reasons. I think there's a unhealthy jealousy that comes for people who think that something's going on when it's not. They're always Every time their spouse talks to another man or another woman, oh, there must be something going on. I think there's an unhealthy jealousy, but I think there's a healthy jealousy that comes when my wife is doing something inappropriate with another man. If I'm not jealous, (laughs) I think I must Mm -hmm. not care too much about that. And so God is a jealous God in that sense. When there's a valid reason why he's having to share himself, and and it goes back— the, this statement here is is the exact thing because in Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. I mean, clear back in Deuteronomy, it's talking about the instructions for all of these things. So, um, I like the word uh, which it's. I, I guess I don't know if it's a psychological word, but you would use the word which happens a lot in scripture, but in this case specifically is the word compartmentalization it's that and because when we're reading there and i'm not trying to read too much in the scripture but it says as solomon grew old so clearly it was it it was a process to get to this point that it Mm -hmm. wasn't just like you know one day which again uh, in our lives we usually don't get to one thing in one day right in in terms of good and bad habits or good and bad character or behavior etc usually it's a process but then uh, for him it's like compartmentalization is basically the thought process of you know someone could be doing something let's say it is a very wealthy man that has uh, the the miss america wife mm-hmm. but yet he's sleeping with 50 other women on right. the side and you would say well how does someone that successful that has it all uh why would he do that and compartmentalization says that what we do mentally is we begin to put 
all of these things in different compartments that are no longer interconnected. So it's like, that is for Solomon. It's like, oh, my wives, it, I'm compartmentalizing the gods and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Like I have God Yahweh over here. I have God such and such over here. And they're not really connected. They're in different right. compartments that I've separated and it's okay. And that's how I, that's how I begin to mentally uh, become okay with certain things that right. are clearly devastating or wrong in my life. It's something I've practiced before. It's something that we can all practice mm-hmm. on different levels or different areas in our life, compartmentalization. And clearly this is what Solomon has to be doing. You right. know, like, how could you have this many wives? How could you have this many gods? And he began to create all these compartments. But you can only do that for so long. And then so many compartments and it gets overwhelming. And it, it, right. the end game is destruction. Right, right. And that's that is the issue with with idols. You know, I want to hang on to my God, but I want this this other idol over here. I mean, he never it never says Solomon just turned away from God. I mean, it never says Solomon decided I don't believe in God anymore and I want to sin. He always still had both, or tried to have both. In other words, and I, one of the I, I read one time in uh, speaking about it, the book of Ecclesiastes that they really believe that Solomon wrote that at three different stages of his life. So at the beginning, he's beginning, you know, he talks about how, you know, everything, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, you know, as a young man, like, like why even try things don't work out. And, but then as he grew in wisdom and, and with God's help and stuff, he went through that, the kingship, the being the wisest man the wealthiest man he went through all those good things and then the end of ecclesiastes he begins to be more repentant about things and so it it was like three different phases of his life and so maybe this point in his life is where he's writing that end time of the book of ecclesiastes you know we all think that these guys who wrote these books just sat down one day and wrote a book and uh, but this they believe that was a three three phase or or included more of his lifetime than just sitting down and writing it all at once but anyway uh 11:5 he followed Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians Molech the detestable god of the Ammonites so uh talks about this uh the Sidonians he had a Sidonian wife um it was uh Hiram's daughter we've talked about Hiram who was the king of Tyre and Sidon so it, it's all from that. Um, the temple to Ashtoreth, when you talk about the Ashtoreth poles and all those kind of things, um, the temple was in Sidon. So they worshiped the moon god, the Venus god. And then Molech was the Ammonites. So we always, when anybody talks about Ammonites, uh, it's kind of like in the, uh, when they talk about Philistines, the Ammonites were terrible people. I mean, they weren't... Uh, uh, they were along with the idea of the Philistines. They were never spoken of in a good manner. Kind of like we take uh, New Testament, we talk about the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Like all the Pharisees were bad people, you know. And that's not really the case because uh, Jesus even said, unless you're as good as the Pharisees, you know, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. So he was using them as a, at least they were were good men. They might have been deceived but they were men of God, men of the law. Uh, I, I've even somebody said that Jesus was more in tune with the Pharisees than any other group of the time because of how good they were. But they were just misled. I guess mm-hmm. was the 
would be the word. But um, and then you know, there's an idea, and we've mentioned it before, that Solomon didn't really worship the idols, but he allowed his wife to his wives to worship those idols. Uh, but he was a he was a participant. I don't think he could ever use that as a defense. Well, I I know I built some altars and I know I helped my wives with some of these things, but I didn't, you know, I never worshiped those gods. And I think that's, you know, not really a very good defense in his case. And especially in those times, because, you know, in our time with, with women's lib and women's rights and things like that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, with all those things, I can see where a man today could say, I just, I lost control over. I, you know, She's doing these things, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Back then, I mean, the man was the, he was the guy. Yeah. I mean, what he said, I mean, a disobedient wife was like a blasphemy mm-hmm. almost. Right, yeah. And so he really had the power, not only as a husband, but as the king, he had the power to tell those women no. But for whatever reason, and again, we don't, we can't read too much into it. We don't know, but... uh for whatever reason, he allowed it. So uh, whether he participated or allowed it, it's still sinful. Eleven six. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. And here you have again, as David his father had done. Um, you just you can't have both. Um, his, the, his sin was the number of wives, the sort of women that he chose, and the unrestricted way that he loved them by allowing them to... Um, either worship or building them the altars or whatever uh, whatever participation he had in that. But 11, 7, and 8, on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. So it wasn't just an isolated incident. This was, and you know, I don't know how that started one day, did one of the wives come and say, I want this? And then the next wife heard, her, hey, you built an altar for her. What about an altar for me? You know, I don't serve the same God she served. Well, okay, I'll, you know, and then it was two, and then it was three. And how many? We don't know how many. But um, just on these, and it talks about this um, on a hill east of Jerusalem. That's The hill east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. So, you know, the very place where the Garden of Gethsemane and those kind of things that became kind of a, a holy place in later times was a very place that was set up uh, as idol worship uh, on those very hills. Kamash was considered, it was the destroyer, the subduer, the fish god, uh, human sacrifice. Uh, all of those were involved. Molech was child sacrifice through fire. Uh, they were burned actually on the idol. And so uh, they don't know exactly did they kill the baby first and then place it. But they said on, uh, with, uh, with Moloch, it was, a head of, it was a head of a bull with arms outstretched and that they would heat that red hot and place the babies on the, in the arms of, of the god. Mm. Now, there was a debate about was the baby alive when they put it there or did they kill the baby then? Offer it as you know, kind of like, kind of like you would kill a lamb and then place it on the altar, and yeah. So, either way, wow. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing, but and I, I that's just beyond me that someone could be so deceived 
to, I mean, we were just talking about how deceived people have been about the coronavirus and, you know, the toilet paper shortage, <laughs> all, you know, the deception that's so easy, but that's a, that's a germ and a toilet paper <laughs> issue. How could people be so deceived to think that some kind of a God would want you to, whether dead or alive, place right. your child in the burning arms of a, of a God, mm-hmm. of a statue of some kind. But idol worship, and I don't know, I haven't studied that. I don't know how much idol worship there is around the world. And, I mean, I know there is some, but I don't know if it's to this extent. But, you know, we can say that very thing, but then we have the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know some people, oh, well, that's nothing like this. Well, right. is it? I mean, we're sacrificing children for yep. financial gain, for, med- you know, they talked about stem cell, for medical research, for convenience. Yeah, freedom, for, personal freedom. Right. I mean, whatever <laughs> it is, I mean, we are, we're not placing them in the burning arms of a, a statue, but we're dismembering yep. uh, children in in a sense so are we really that much different and i just wrote down 500 million dollars in tax money went to planned parenthood wow i mean so are we innocent i mean i don't think so you know and this calls it a detestable god of the ammonites i mean all of these things and and i would venture to say that there are are abortionists and people who believe that abortion is okay and it's legal yeah. and all there are people who would read this scripture and be appalled that someone would would do this that's a great word though for us to personally and and process obviously first of all in our own lives when we step or start engaging or get close to sin that we view it as detestable the problem is we just like oh it's fine or mm-hmm. i was looking here my um, bible study tolerance you know that right. we uh, it said here that solomon at first solomon simply tolerated his wife's uh, false gods mm-hmm. and that's a great a word we hear in our culture today oh we need to be more tolerant right but tolerant is that initial step that gets us closer and comfortable with sin Mm -hmm. and that's a that's a huge issue we should never i mean we should look at uh anti-god things and say that's that is detestable right in the sight of god that's not just like oh okay i'll you know i'll kind of bypass it or compartmentalize it or you know allow it but i'm not going to do it no those things have to become outright detestable to us like right this is not ever ever okay right tolerance for us we do have tolerance because, you know, I want every, I'm not even going to name sins. I want every sinful person to come to Grace Point Assembly of God Church. Yep. Uh, I, that's that's the tolerance. But we will not say that we won't pre- preach against the sin that they live in. Mm-hmm. And it's not pointing a finger at any particular person or any particular group of people, but we're still going to preach the word. Tolerance is the fact that we will love you and you are welcome here. Yeah. And we won't treat you different because you have a label on you of, and again, I'm not going to mention sins, but that you have a label that you're doing this certain thing or living this certain lifestyle. 
they could wear that badge around all day. I'm still going to sit and have coffee. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to ridicule and run them out of the church. I want them here. And, but we won't change the, uh, we may change what is it? Yeah, true. Yeah. We won't change, we'll change the method. Yeah. The message is sacred. The method is not. There you go. There you go. So, um, anyway, we probably are about out of time, but, um, any of these things, and again, that that tolerance being so careful, and it's for another. Actually, I was writing notes this morning as I was studying. I'm at a different place in my study than we where we are mm-hmm. on the podcast. But in that, I was just a a list of things that uh, my parents. I can remember. I don't know how many times my mother, when you would talk about something that was debatable, and back in my day when I was a teenager, everything was debatable. Couldn't go to the movies, smoking, drinking, dancing, gambling, you know, all of those kind of things. And I don't know how many times I remember my mother saying, well, there's nothing wrong anymore. You know, if I would try to argue, well, I don't see anything wrong with going to the movies. Well, there's nothing wrong anymore. There's nothing wrong anymore. And I get that to a certain extent because of tolerance. Mm -hmm. We've said, well, it's okay to do this as long as you don't do this, kind of the same way with Solomon. It's okay to marry many women as long as my heart doesn't get turned. So it's okay to do this. Well, then the next thing, it's, you know, it's okay to push that just a little bit further, a little bit. You know, television is one of those, you know, I can, as a kid, you know, I can remember where um, any married couple had twin beds. If they ever showed the bedroom, (laughs) they were in twin beds. And you wonder, you know, how they ever had children, but right. Um, but I can. Remember. I always wondered why that one time I was at your house and I, yeah, you showed, you showed me a room and like yeah. well, two beds. What? Yeah, it's not two beds; it's different bedrooms. Good night, um, Stella. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got the intercom system between rooms. Uh, no, we do not. I mean, emphasize we do not. <laughs> but I can remember talking about um, uh, one. They were interviewing the guys on that were on Leave It to Beaver, the old show Leave It to Beaver. And he said that one time he had a turtle, and he was going to put it in the in the bowl, the toilet bowl in the water, because that's the only place he could find. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the. And anyway, the censors would not let him do that because it would be considered <laughs> obscene to show the oh, toilet bowl. That yeah, and, that's, and de- so, that's detestable, right? No. <laughs> and so, but then so at some point, somebody said. Well, that's okay to show the toilet bowl. And then, you know, and now look where we are Mm -hmm. in censorship and movies and (laughs) things that go on now. Those people would have a heart attack and and kill over if they could see where we are now. But why is that? It didn't happen overnight. It was a little tolerance and this is okay. And then you push it just a little further and and here we are today. So. Well, the greatest reality show that was never put to film. Yes. The Life of Solomon. (laughs) Hey, thanks for joining us on this edition of Verse by Verse with Rick Maynard. We'll talk to you guys next time.